0: All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your word and for Christmas and all that that means, Lord. We pray now that you bless our time together, that we just settle and uh, hear from you. We'd speak deep to our hearts, Lord, please have your way with us. Guide us and lead us in Jesus' name, amen. So. If you would, you can turn your Bible. Today's the, uh, okay, I'm just going to, a qu- little quiz time. Everybody okay with quiz time? It must be something about that seat. <laughs> yeah. Whoever sits in that seat says, oh yeah, bring it. So, um, Sunday before Christmas, I'm going to say turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And as I say that, I realize that at least one person, probably my wife, is going to get the right answer, right? Luke chapter 2. And as I say that, I'm going to pause and say we're going to back up for a little bit of an introduction. Is that fair? So we're going to pause, kind of hit the brakes for a minute. Not maybe hit the brakes, maybe push the clutch for a little introduction, okay? Um, put yourself in my shoes for a second, okay? How do they fit? Big pair, pair, yeah. (laughs) Um, Pretend you're me, and your task is to talk about Christmas, okay? And your task is to talk about Christmas primarily to a group of Christians, people that have kind of studied Christmas over the years, right? And the biggest hurdle, I would argue, to coming up with something insightful to talk about for Christmas would be what? If you could put it into one word that starts with an F and I counted, it has 11 letters in it. What's the one word that would be the barrier or the hurdle... To overcome, talking about Christmas. Louder. Familiarity. Familiarity. Does that make sense? And we've been talking forever about our relationship with God is, is it a religion or is it a relationship? You should do better than that a relationship, thank you very much. And I would make the case that familiarity is probably the greatest danger in any relationship. Is that fair? Can you chew on that for a minute? Familiarity is what makes me stop treating my wife like a princess and start treating her like the old lady, Right? Ladies, raise your hand now if you're married. You like that old lady thing? No. No. Young men that might get married someday? just Trust me on that one, okay? Old lady doesn't work. The young engaged couple who think they'll have no problems in their marriage and are just starry-eyed with each other. Why is that? Because they have no what? Familiarity. Right? Familiarity is the... Really the... um, Probably the greatest root cause of... Or at least one of them. Selfishness is right up there. But I mean, if you get the idea, right? Familiarity is 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 a curse in relationships. I think the offspring of familiarity is discontentment, right? And then you kind of, as you take your brain on down there, covetousness. Those things are the things that make us long for something new, something different, something unfamiliar, something exciting, right? These are all things that we have to sort of deal with in any relationship, and I think they're the things that we deal with at Christmas. At Christmas. As it relates to Christmas, familiarity, I think, lulls us to sleep a little bit. Does it not? Familiarity makes me sing, "Oh come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, oh come, let us adore Him." Frosty the Snowman. In the same, like, on the same CD, <laughs> right? Does Frosty the Snowman have equal weight with "Oh come, let us adore Him"? It doesn't. It shouldn't. But we kind of, kind of lump them together. Is that fair? Or we compromise with our culture, right? We argue about whether or not we should say Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas, right? Can I suggest as Christians, we would say Merry Christmas, right? But can I say, don't pick a fight with anybody over it, (laughs) right? It's just not worth fighting, right? If somebody wants to get hung up on not saying Merry Christmas, I don't think you're going to convince them otherwise by saying Merry Christmas louder, right? But these are familiarity things. And I think the counter to familiarity, as I've kind of wrestled through it in my mind, is thankfulness and faithfulness. And I think with thankfulness and faithfulness, we need to approach our relationship with the Lord. And thankfulness and faithfulness are something that, as we renew those daily, as we make it a habit daily of choosing to be thankful— of choosing to be faithful, whether we feel like it or not, is what helps, from our end at least, overcome familiarity, right? From God's end, end we know His mercies are new every morning, and great is His faithfulness, right? So I was thinking through this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, it's certain we can carry nothing out. So how do we find godliness and contentment? And how do we overcome familiarity from our side? I thought of five things. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. If you're not, you don't have to. Number one, I think it's important to be reminded to approach God and his word as a child. Matthew chapter 18 says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Even when they asked him that, I think they probably had some expectations, right? Like some PhD or some theologian or some great pastor. And Jesus called what? A little what? Child to him. Set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted... Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I think we need to approach God and his word as a child and sort of make ourselves do that. We as adults take ourselves way too seriously. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed this? We are consumed with making ourse- taking ourselves way too seriously. What is a child? Like a child wakes up in the morning and each day is new. Each day is different. He could play the same thing he played yesterday and it's somehow fun, right? A child comes up with wisdom like this. There's a child I know of that is, I think, five. Is he five? His mother's worrying about him getting behind in school, so she started a, a literature course in him at five. He comes up with stuff like this. If I can see it. He says, Papa is good at euchre. Right? Proverbs says, let another man praise you, not you yourself. So, is good at euchre, is good at euchre. Just, it is what it is. I can't help it. He likes being on my team. He likes hugging me, but I don't like it. Right? Now, could Shakespeare come up with something like that? I don't think so. Next one's better. I like going to the greenhouse with Nana. She is growing a ton of leaves. It's actually lettuce. I hope I don't have to eat them. Shakespeare can't do that, right? Edgar Allan Poe sure can't do that, right? Jesus said, unless you humble yourself as a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So please don't take ourselves too seriously. Please approach God and his word like a child. Number two, keep reminding yourself of who God is. Learn his character. Can I tell you how, I think how so vital this is? We so often misunderstand our our lives as Christians because we misunderstand who God is. We have some perception of God that's not biblical. And let me just encourage you, if you ever want to remind yourself of who God is, read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And how he relates to us is, uh, to me, those are the favorite scriptures. Those are the go-to scriptures as far as who God is. Because when we don't understand, when we do things like, when we say things like, I'm mad at God, or when we feel disappointed by God, or when we have a certain expectation, or we're disillusioned, or, or any of that, and I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm going to say it's 100% of people in this room, and I'm telling you it's 100% because there's a very likelihood that you're one of those 100% and you think it's only you. But I'm just going to tell you, I've talked to enough people over the years, sooner or later, it's 100% that feel like, man, Mm, this just didn't turn out like I thought it would and God wasn't there for me and I had this certain expectation of God and, and, and all of that if, you think, if you've ever felt that way you are not alone but the reality is that doesn't trump truth your feelings your experiences do not trump truth and truth is found in the pages of scripture plain and simple And truth says that God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has blessed you above and beyond what you can ask or think. If you think that God is anything less than amazing, you just don't understand God. And that's not a trip. That's an encouragement. And so... If we ever feel like this life is, is mundane, this Christian life is mundane or it's routine or it's too familiar, let me just encourage us, study who God is and appreciate and recognize who God is and ask him to reveal through prayer who God is and it'll change everything. Number three, keep reminding yourself of who you are. You're a sinner saved by grace, period. You're a sinner saved by grace. I don't deserve anything. I certainly don't deserve what God has given me. See where that, like, realigns everything? I don't deserve anything God has given me. And so I have to walk this balance. On one hand, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I deserve nothing. I, don't, I certainly don't deserve all the goodness that God has given me. And yet, on the other hand, I can't walk around like a defeated, like, Eeyore, right? Or like, you know, I don't know. i just defeated because I'm a child of the King. So you see this? I'm at the same time royalty and a sinner saved by grace. And the only reason I'm royalty is because of that grace. Right? So it allows me to walk through this life at peace, uh, victorious, thankful, because I was a sinner saved by grace. I'm still a sinner saved by grace, but I'm also a child of the King now. So it's important that I approach God and his word as a child. It's important that I remember who God is. It's important that I remember who I am. It's important that I approach God's word for what it is. It's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Those are familiar verses, aren't they? Hebrews chapter 4. That's familiar, but is there anything wrong with Familiarity. Not if we see it for what it is, right? I'm glad that I have that stability, knowing that that uh, God's Word is that powerful. It's God's Word that makes us complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Complete. You want to be complete today? Do you ever feel like you're incomplete? All Scripture. All Scripture. Genesis to Revelation is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You lack nothing. I lack nothing in the context of Scripture. Scripture is all I need to be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then finally, Live every day with dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what is the lust of the flesh? I think it's a desire for something that I don't have. Or a desire for something that's outside of God's will for my life. Right? For Eve, it was a desire for, I mean, think about Eve. Think about familiarity, discontentment. You can have every fruit in the Garden of Eden. You think Garden of Eden was a pretty cool place? I'm betting I've never been there, but I'm guessing it was a pretty cool place, right? You can have any fruit in the whole place you want, except for one, right? And she says, "You know, that mango is getting kind of old. I want that fruit, right?" And how often do we say, you know, that whatever it is that God gave me is getting kind of old. I want that fruit. Right? If we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So is that fair? So we can approach God's Word as a child, not with familiarity, but with awe, with thankfulness. Right? So with that, let's look at Luke chapter 2. Is that fair? So did I set us up? Do we all have kind of the, you feel like your thankful juices are flowing? Now you're ready to read Luke chapter 2, right? Yes. 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 Thank you. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Now, you've heard me say before. Probably more than once. Probably in a way that's familiar. I love this picture because it tells me Caesar Augustus thought he was in charge. He was probably the most powerful man in the world at this point in time. Able to flex his muscles. Able to say, you know what? I need a new castle or a new palace or just more money. Because how much money is enough? What's the answer to that question? Three words. A little more, right? That's how much is enough, just a little more. So if you're Caesar Augustus, that's all you need, just a little bit more. Well, the way to get that is to register everybody, make sure everybody pays their proper due, right? I think I'm going to register tax. I'm in charge of the world. I'm running the world. Right? And yet, Micah chapter 5 verse 2 said that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And this is about the only way I can think of to get a pregnant woman down to Bethlehem from Nazareth in Galilee, way up north, north. So Caesar Augustus wasn't in charge. God was in charge. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that if you think your situation is beyond God's scope of intervention, it's not. It never is. And so Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, that's way up in the north, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, which is right outside of Jerusalem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So this guy Joseph and his fiancée, they're not married yet, they're betrothed. And she's way pregnant, right? And because he was of the line of David, he had to go to the land of his home place. He had to go to David's town to be registered right Is Caesar in control or is God in control God's in control and he has to go there with his pregnant fiance his pregnant girlfriend we'll say Have have you ever been misunderstood raise your hand if you've ever been misunderstood raise your hand if you've ever been in a situation where person a talks to person b about you and misrepresents you to person b got the person B in mind? And you have occasion to now explain the situation to person B, right? If you've ever been in this situation, it's, well, it's just no fun. Have you ever been in this situation? I have. Where you're having a conversation with person B. Person B doesn't really hate you necessarily. They've just been given misinformation about you. You've been misrepresented. You've been misrepresented to person B. And so what you're going to do now is you're going to... Um, because it's real clear the solution to this problem. You just got to straighten out person B and their perception of what was misrepresented. Everybody with me so far? And so you start explaining this whole situation to person B, and then, wait wait a minute, you got to have some background, and, and well, and this other, you know, person C, and then, you know, they told person X, and, and have you ever done this with person B? And about 12 minutes into it, their eyes start glazing over. Have you ever done this? It's... It's funny now that I'm thinking about it outside of not trying to do that, right? Person B probably doesn't care. But you are obsessed with trying to set the record straight because nobody likes to be misrepresented, right? That's the bottom line. Nobody likes to be misrepresented. Now, person B probably doesn't really care. And you're glazing over the eyes of person B, and, and the more you talk, the more guilty you come off, right? I love Joseph. I love. Can you picture this? In a Jewish culture, by the way, which is way more religious than ours, Joseph and his pregnant girlfriend are going to take a trip to Bethlehem. And all, I just picture all of the people that, you know, all the extended family and, you know, uh, everybody's around Nazareth and, and all of that. And, and, and I, just, I just picture the temptation for both of them to tell everybody in town, well, it's not quite what, how it appears You see, this angel came and told me this story. And next thing I know, and, you know, she's explaining it to you, and she's getting nowhere, and she tells Joseph to take over, and Joseph takes over the story and says, yeah, I'm with you. I thought it was crazy, too. And I was ready to put her away secretly because I wanted to be honorable and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know what happened? An angel came to me. And they're like, Person B is like, really? I love Joseph and Mary's. uh, I mean, we don't know all the dialogue, but I just picture that they just quietly were good with the Lord, knowing what they knew, and just went on down to Bethlehem, minding their own business. It's a great example. It's a great example. Of obedience simple faithful obedience and let me tell you this in this life as we try to overcome familiarity as we try to faithfully serve the Lord guess what we're going to get along the way sooner or later misunderstood and guess what we're going to have to do more than once in this life is just move forward with quiet patient thankful faithful obedience That's what Joseph and Mary did. It's a great example for us. It's a great example. So verse 6. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. I love this. God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. Now, if we're talking to Mary and Joseph at that moment and we try to say God's timing is always perfect, what would they have said? Sure doesn't feel like it. Sure doesn't feel... This is inconvenient. This is extremely inconvenient. This is beyond inconvenient. But God's timing is always perfect. God's timing in our lives is always perfect because God is in control. So... The days are completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So you see this? This is just a dramatic, dramatic picture of humility. Please don't ever let this get too familiar. I I hate that this is so familiar. I hate that this is so familiar that we have manger scenes everywhere of Jesus in in a feeding trough, and yep, sure enough, he was Wrapped in claws and laid in a feeding trough. And, you know, we we put them out. Put them out all the time. And that's real. But don't lose sight of the fact that God himself came to heaven, came from heaven to earth to give his life as a sacrifice for each and every one of us. And he didn't just come as an adult and pop on the scene. He could have totally done that, right? Could have totally come as a 30-year-old man and still would have sacrificed his life. Still could have died on a cross and got the job done. But for whatever reason, he chose to come the way he came. As a baby. Humbled. Submitted to his earthly parents. Born in a barn and laid in a feeding trough for animals, right? Now, that's very familiar to all of us. But we've got to get our heads past familiarity to just recognize that for what it is, right? That's amazing. And it's also a dramatic picture, not just of the humility of Jesus, but it's a dramatic picture, I believe, that the world will be consumed with fullness and busyness so much so that it's possible to miss the good stuff in life. Right? What was the best thing that happened in the world that, that night by far? The innkeeper having a good revenue night? No. Jesus Christ being born. Right? And, you know, I don't know where the innkeeper was with the lord, right? And he probably didn't know and you know, we can't really fault him for that, but there's just this picture I believe in this in this description that the world is just kind of going on as normal. Does that make sense? I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I I, I know at times I I've, I've had times in my life where I remember when my dad died. And I remember that feeling like My dad just died, but the rest of the world's going on as normal. If you've ever dealt with the death of a loved one, I I think everybody goes through this a little bit. I remember remember this, like, cars are just still, you know, you kind of, you're there, right? You're kind of in this moment, but you can kind of look off in the distance, and cars are just driving by, right? Going to lunch, going to dinner, going to work going to the gas station, right? And, you know, there are other times when there are those that are grieving, and I'm one of those guys, so I'm not, it's not no fault of anybody, right? I, I'm, I'm the guy going, by, going to lunch, going to work, going to whatever, you know, at times, right? But I think there's a sense in which if we're not careful, and so there's nothing wrong with it in and of itself, but if we're not careful, We can be so busy. We can live so normal that we miss the good stuff. We can miss the good stuff. That's a curse of familiarity. It's a curse of our culture. It's a curse of our culture. Our culture is consumed with being consumed. And we're at very high risk of missing the good stuff. Please don't miss the good stuff. Sometimes I wonder and I look back and I think, what are much good stuff I've missed, right? Because you don't know what you don't know, right? What are much good stuff I've really missed? And then on the other hand, so often some of the greatest events in life are things that just happened while you were doing your thing. Seat. Now, they were in the same country, shepherds, doing their eight-hour shift out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Should the Bible say that? No. It says they were living out there. You think they struggle with familiar, familiarity? You picture this: you're standing out there, you're holding your stick, right? watching the sheep? Yep. They're eating grass. Tomorrow night, they're going to eat grass over there because last night they ate grass there. Sure enough, those are still sheep. Right? Living. 24-hour shifts, it would appear. Right? Do you think they struggle with familiarity? Think their life seemed exciting? Think they were on the cutting edge? On the front lines? Right? Turning and burning for the Lord? Right? They're watching sheep eat grass and drink water. Right? So they're out there keeping their watch over their flocks at night. And again, picture of humility. You know, they were not necessarily a noble uh, social class in a culture that was probably even more, well, certainly even more aware of social classes, if you will, than our society, which is way too aware of it, right? But shepherds. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. So, angel appears to the shepherds. What are the shepherds doing? By the way, what would they wake up that day and think? Tonight, the angel's coming. Everybody, gear up. Put on your best clothes. The angel's coming tonight. Did anybody do that? No. What are they doing? They're faithfully minding their own business. See, this, this is to me. This is one of the things of familiarity. As we as we kind of do our normal life yes, our familiar life, but do it faithfully and thankfully and try not to miss out on the good stuff, the reality is most of the good stuff is unplanned. Most of the good stuff is when God shows up, whether we recognize it or not, and it's completely unplanned. Right? These guys didn't plan on that. But the angel appears because these guys are just doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now, if these guys were slacking, if they were somewhere where they weren't supposed to be, they might have missed it, right? So they're just faithfully doing what they're supposed to be doing, and the angel shows up. That would have been a little overwhelming. So the angel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The angel says to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. So, when we're faithfully serving the Lord, we need not be afraid. When we're faithfully serving the Lord, we need not be afraid. First, Second Timothy one seven, familiar verse, says, "For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind." First Peter chapter five verse seven tells us to cast all of our care or all of our anxieties on Him, for He cares. For you, And so not only does serving the Lord take away fear, but replaces it with joy. Do not be afraid. Get rid of your fear, for behold, I, agree, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Great joy overcomes great fear. Right? Great joy overcomes great fear, which will be to all people. His joy is available to all people, not a select few, not the super insightful, not the theologically correct. His joy is available to all people, all who would choose to receive his grace. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, this is kind of interesting. This, is in a, this comes in a, as an announcement. Notice this. I don't think I'm picking it apart too much. But the angel says, don't be afraid. Instead, be joyful. Here's the reason. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. So the angel says, you'll find the babe. The angel doesn't say, hey, listen, I want you to go... And find that babe. Maybe the angel did it that way. I don't know. But it seems to me that the angel is just making an announcement. And I think that's a picture of how God works. God shows up. We choose whether or not we're going to notice. We choose whether or not we're going to appreciate. We choose whether or not we're going to respond. So there's an announcement. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So imagine you're out there, you're the the shepherds, minding your own business, being faithful, and next thing you know, there's a whole multitude of heavenly hosts singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men very familiar words to us but they would have certainly been radical for these guys so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us and so you see here now they naturally want to go see Jesus right if the angel came to you and said, hey, there's a baby over here uh, who is Christ the Lord, would you not want to automatically stop what you're doing and go over there, right? They're willing to respond to what they were now a part of. And so we have an opportunity to respond. That's not religious. That's just fellowship with God. That's just fellowship with God, recognizing who He is, overcoming all the, the barriers, the familiarity, being, you know, all of that. Recognizing and responding to God. Verse 15. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 16. He says, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. It's another point I want to make. When I was a kid growing up in church, it was, uh, I wouldn't say hammered, but maybe I could say hammered. It was hammered into us that we need to share our faith. Is that good? Is that a good thing? Well, you're not sure how to answer because I use the word hammered, which sounds a little biased, right? It was hammered into us that we should share our faith. Did these guys, did did these shepherds share their faith? Did they share their experience with others? What's it say? Right? That they made widely known what was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things that were told by the shepherds. They made it widely known. Are we supposed to make widely known that Jesus died for us? Yeah. But is that the order of things? If I have to uh, hammer down our throats that we need to share our faith right then maybe we need to go back and look at the order of things does that make sense these guys did not need any kind of counseling or any kind of classes or any kind of, of four point tricks on how to share their faith they just shared what they had experienced we should first Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 recognize the goodness of God recognize what God has done for us say wow that's amazing and then that should naturally cause us to share our faith right and if we don't do that if we don't share our faith it's not necessarily that you know that I mean I don't want to lay a trip on anybody for that but what I would just say is hey let's reflect on what God has done for us and that should be contagious that should be contagious these guys they had an amazing experience I believe as we live our lives faithfully thankfully daily doing what God wants us to do whether it seems glamorous or not probably no more often no more glamorous than a shepherd God is still God and I think God loves to work supernaturally in our lives whether we recognize it or not he loves to to he loves to show up maybe not as dramatically as this but In many ways, yes. Right? I heard a story today. I won't embarrass him. But I heard a story today of an example of God working in a man's life that was every bit as supernatural as this story. Every bit. And if I told you the details, you'd say, yeah, for sure. Does God still work like this? You bet he does. You bet he does. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. And when he does, it's okay to say check out what happened to me. There's nothing like super religious or complicated about that, right? This this guy I'm talking about, right? I said you own that story. That's yours. That's your experience. That's your test. It's called a testimony. It's what God has done in your life, and it's nothing short of miraculous. Don't miss that. And it's okay to share that story because that's what God has done in our lives. That's how evangelism works. That's way better than taking a class and trying to memorize all the right answers, right? But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. You know, sometimes it's good to just reflect on what the Lord has done for us. Sometimes an awareness of God's working in our lives is one of the greatest weapons against familiarity. Just pondering, just reflecting what God has done in your life. What has God done in your life this year? 2021, it's been a hard year for a lot of people. It's been a good year if we're walking with the Lord, right? And it's okay to reflect. It's actually healthy to reflect on what God has done in our lives. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. I love this. When all is said and done, what's the purpose of our lives? Why do we exist on this earth today? You ever think about that? You don't have to take a philosophy class to ask that question. You have to breathe in order to ask that question. Because we all ask it in some way or another. Why do we exist? Well, to make a lot of money. To play euchre. To tell jokes. To have fun to win whatever kind of life contest we got going. Why do we exist? We exist to bring glory to God, our Creator. Right? These shepherds, they were nothing fancy. They were not Ph.D. scholars. They were not royalty. They were not wealthy. They were just guys doing their job when the angels showed up. Joseph... What was Joseph? A carpenter with a pregnant wife and a temptation to explain it to everybody. Just a guy showing up, being faithful to what he's been supposed to be doing, honoring the Lord. And his purpose is to glorify God. The purpose in our lives, when all is said and done, is to glorify God. So. Christmas is familiar, but it should be our time when we really reflect like a child with awareness of God's Word, with an awareness of of God's Spirit, with an awareness of who God is and an awareness of who we are to give us a fresh appreciation of what God has done for us so that we can respond with thanks, thankfulness, we can respond with faithfulness, and we can respond with lives that bring glory to God, which is our purpose in life. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you're so good to us. We thank you that you came to earth in the way you did, with the characters in the story that you chose. with the words and the details recorded as you chose, with your Holy Spirit guiding us in all truth as you chose, giving us the opportunity to overcome fear with joy, which is available to all people as you chose. And so, Lord, help us to respond with obedience and faithfulness to you to your goodness and help our lives bring glory and honor to you this Christmas and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome Christmas.